Yeah, okay, we, we can do this over. We have, from the other side of town, Olympic gold medalist Connor Fields. Uh, thank you for doing this, man. I, I'm, I'm pumped to do it. We've talked about it a couple times, and now that everyone seems to have nothing but free time on their hands, this is uh, creating an opportunity for me to link up with people without them having to come to my house. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I had uh, I had eight trips organized, booked, and planned, ready to go, and I have zero now. So That's crazy. I've got nothing but time. So we could do we could do this every day if you want to do this every day. <laughs> yeah, we just check in and see what's going on. Uh, hey, how's your how's your quarantine day four going? Yeah, I think everyone's doing that. It's like, hey, uh, what do I watch on Netflix now? Like, I've already gone through all the stuff I want to watch. Yeah, exactly. I'm just trying to be organized. Like, I cleaned out. We'll have like a downstairs, like a closet that you shove everything into. And so yesterday I just cleaned it out, just trying to be productive. You're just half-ass cleaning, just throw stuff in the closet like we do here to make it look clean. That's it. But I actually cleaned it yesterday because I had nothing else to do. There you go. You're going to clean it about 50 more times in the next couple of weeks, I imagine. Probably. Probably. Oh. Maybe I'm going to start breaking stuff just so I have something to fix. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, okay, so this is, I mean, it's obviously, this conversation's a little different than it would have been a month ago if we were to have it. Uh, being somebody that's preparing for the Olympics, which, like you told me, still hasn't been postponed, nothing's happened, they're going to wait um, a month or so. I, I can't remember exactly when you said they were going to make a decision on it, but how is this, I mean, outside of your your personal life having to be quarantined and, and be extra safe because of your fiance. How does this affect your training? Um, I mean, going to qualify, stuff like that. So it, it's had massive ripples just through everything. So first of all, the qualification period began uh, in August of 2018. And then it was meant to run through May 31st of this year. So it's about 18 months. And the way that it works is there's a limited number of people that can compete at the Olympics. Um, it's not open. Like you can't just show up and go. So there was really? 24 spots for men and there's 24 spots for women. So what they do is they've got a system where you get points as a unit for your country. And that decides how many members or how many positions your country gets at the Olympics. So two countries are going to get three Three countries are going to get two, and then the remaining seven or eight countries, however many it is, get one spot at the Olympics. And then every country figures out their own way of how they want to give out the spots that they've earned. Um, so we had, were in the, right in the middle of the qualification period, and the United States was sitting in third. Um, so we were only, at the time that this all happened, qualifying two but there were still races left to go, so we could have eventually potentially made a pass and, and gotten to where we were qualifying three. But because of everything getting canceled, what the UCI, which is like our governing body, like our MLB or NBA is the UCI, they govern all cycling worldwide. Uh, they basically said as of March 3rd, points are frozen. So they're no longer going to be awarding any points because that was the first day that certain countries started not being allowed to travel. And therefore, it's not fair if you're Italian, you couldn't go compete and get points where these other countries could. There was 75, exactly 75% of the events were completed. There was 25% left and they just said, all right, we're going to just end it as of this date and how the points stand on March 3rd, that's, that's how it's going to be. So the United States has qualified two 
and I'm the highest ranked American. So therefore I've actually now qualified for the Olympics. Right. But it, which is supposed to be a super fun and exciting thing. And you're supposed to be, you know, pumped up, but it was like, I, I don't even know how I could be excited right now. You know, it's like with everything going on, yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that opportunity, you know, to, to earn it, you know, the right way or the way we all would have wanted to. Um, at the moment, the only two events that haven't been canceled yet are the world championships, which is at the end of May in Houston, which that one I don't think is very likely. Yeah, that'd be wishful thinking. Yeah. Um, and then after that is the Olympics, which is meant to start July 24th. But what you also have to remember is that people start arriving for the Olympics probably two weeks before. So you're looking at mid-July for people to start arriving. Um, just today, like an hour ago, the International Olympic Committee released another statement saying that they're committed to starting on time and that everything is going as planned and that they're going to wait two months to make a decision. They're, they're saying that, you know, as of right now, making a decision is early. This We don't know where we're going to be in eight weeks, which I understand. Mm -hmm. um, but it is hard to think that everything's just going to magically go away in the next six to eight weeks and that we're going to be able to get literally the worst possible thing for a disease to happen, bring someone from everywhere in the world to the same place. And then everyone touch the same doorknobs, the same equipment, the same stuff, spill blood, sweat, and tears all over each other. And then everybody go home. It's They've also said that they will not postpone. Um, it would either go as planned or it would be canceled. And they've never postponed in the history of the Olympics ever. And they've only ever canceled twice. And that was world war one and world war two. But there's never been a worldwide pandemic before. So I'd like to think that they might be open to changing their stance on that and just saying we're going to delay it one year and yeah. do it next year rather than outright canceling because canceling it is not like canceling an annual event that you just say, oh, I'll just wait till next year. There's people who have spent their whole life getting ready for this one opportunity. If you think about gymnasts, right? They're so young and they get to like 20 and they're aged out. They realistically get one, maybe two chances to yeah. go. So if this gets pulled, they're done. They can't go. I'm not going to do another four years and wait around. I was going to, this was going to be my last one anyway. And I'm surely not going to go another four years and wait till I'm 31 yeah. and, and go. So it's, I'd like to think that they'll delay it a year instead of just outright cancel. So if, that's crazy. They they already like so if they canceled it, it would be if they used the term canceled, it would totally just skip this one. They would go back to the Winter Olympics and in wow, that's insane. So I mean, it seems like just from the conversations that we've had just texting that they've been they've done a good job as far as communicate communicating with you. I mean, the the people from the Olympics, right? So you, I mean, you've been up to date. I mean, obviously we talked a couple of days ago and you told me that they had the what they were planning on a date to decide but then you get another message this morning so you've you've been in you've had good communication with them right well i don't have direct communication i'm just reading the news um but what's happening is they're getting increased pressure as more and more things are canceling and postponing so just this morning they delayed or 
or they postponed the UEFA soccer tournament and the Copa America, which were both meant to happen in June. So now you're starting to get to where you're only a month away from things being canceled that are meant to be taking place in July. Mm -hmm. They've already done everything in March. They've already done everything in April. They've started doing things in May, and now they've already done some major world events in June. So I think with that increased pressure, that's when the Olympic Committee released that new statement saying, hey, we're going to wait, we're going to wait. Um, but it puts it like, look, I want to say first and foremost, like me not being able to go to the Olympics is a small scale compared to people who are sick, dying, and people who don't know how they're going to feed their families, yeah. right? So it's perspective is key here. Mm -hmm. But with that said, it's really difficult because it's like, do I take some time off because I know I'm going to have to keep training for another year or do I keep powering ahead thinking that the Olympics is going to happen in four months or am I going to be racing in three? Like what, when's the next event? I, I don't know. So it's a really hard thing to do. And it's a situation unlike anything we've ever had because there's always been a calendar. So you've always known when your next event is, you know, whether it's in a month or it's in six, you know when it is. Yeah. So it's really weird right now because it's like, I'm going to stay in shape just because I like to work out and what the heck else do we have to do? But what am I training for? That's kind of the hardest thing. Yeah. It's kind of a weird, I mean, you can take any sport, like you can take the NBA, you can take major league baseball and look at it from a perspective of just the United States, Canada, and think about how many people are like dying to be watching sports. Obviously there's nothing on ESPN to watch, but the Olympics is something that's different because it's bringing everybody together. So maybe the hope is that if they push it back, say two months from now, they make the decision. When all of this clears up, the Olympics could be the perfect or is the perfect opportunity to kind of give everybody in the world something to rally around and watch. And it's like you said, it's it's small scale compared to people that are actually like that are sick and dying and and don't know how they're going to feed their families. But the Olympics in the, starting on July 24th could be the perfect time to kind of lift everyone's spirits because the way things are going, everyone's going to be uh, pretty damn down by the time that comes around. Absolutely. And I mean, <clears throat> look, the Olympics is a business, just like the NBA, just like the NFL. And number one thing that they care about is money. And they could sit here and tell you it's about you know bringing the world together and the Olympic values and yada, yada, yada. But it's, they're not running charity here. And so they're probably really excited about what you just said. The, if they could be the kickoff, if they could be the first event to get, come back after no sports for four months and the whole world down, and now we can bring everybody together and, and lift the spirits up and everyone's going to be glued because it's the first sports on TV in five months, they're stoked on that. Mm -hmm. But they won't be allowed to do it unless this whole thing is completely done and over with and controlled because if there's one country that can't go due to them being locked down that's not fair yep if there's a, even a percent that having the olympics if there's one person that has this virus gives it to five other people they go home and they could blow this whole thing up again they won't do it yep so that's where I think I don't see how they're going to be able to do it without some sort of delay. I really, I really don't, but I'm not a virologist and I'm, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at it from the like the delay perspective, I think 
say push it back say we're going to do the summer olympics next year and then by the time the winter olympics comes around it's like okay everything's back to normal we, we got them we pushed it back a year that seems like it would make sense to me you're not gonna miss out on that money it's just gonna be delayed uh but i mean who knows like you said i'm not a vir virologist you, neither are you doctors we're not that smart uh but let's get back to the the training part of it so we have um, obviously I, I know a ton of baseball players. That's, I met you through people I know through baseball, but we have a, a minor league kid who came back to Vegas, doesn't have, didn't have a place to stay. He's crashing with us right now. Um, but we had the conversation yesterday when he got in, he's like, I don't know what to do. Do I take time off? Do I just take this time to work even harder? But like we talked about the other day, it's like, am I working out in the garage? Can I go to where I normally trained, which you can't now. So he's going to be doing what we call prison workouts in the backyard, push-ups, burpees, air squats. We have a 45-pound bar. It's like, what do I do? Do I, I trained all off-season to go to spring training and prepare for 120 games, but now it's like, I don't know when spring training two is going to start. I don't know when the season is going to start. So so what do I do? What are you doing with to train with all of this up in the air? It's tough. I mean, our tracks have all closed down. Because uh, gatherings of over 10 people, so we can't go and ride. Um, the way I'm, the way that I'm trying to approach it is... Please tell me you're using a Peloton. <laughs> I don't have one. Uh, I, Can we get this guy a sponsorship? Somebody get me a Peloton. Um, the way I'm kind of, kind of trying to approach it is I'm gonna we're going to race again one day. I don't know when, but there's going to be a race again at some point. So... I'm not going to go crazy right now because it's not like, I also don't think that they're going to go from zero to, Hey guys, we're racing in three days, mm -hmm. right? We're going to get warning and advance notice. Cool. The calendar's back on. We can start next month. Like it's not going to be something I think where they're going to be like, cool racing in two days. And yeah. if you're not ready, you're not ready. So I'm going to just try to stay in shape, but I also think it's just healthy in general. Even if I was an athlete for anyone who's not an athlete, I think to just stay in shape right now, relieve stress, as, you know all the all the benefits that come from working out. I have a friend of mine who's got a garage gym set up. You know he's got enough stuff in there that I can kind of maintain strength at least in the gym. And then uh, you're still allowed to go outside, so I can still go ride my bike outside yeah. and kind of keep in touch with it um, and fitness and all that. But on the flip side, with that said, I'm 27 years old. I've got 12 years of base training you know, in me, I'm not too worried that I don't need a long time to get ready. I can get ready to go pretty quickly um, because of the base that I've built up over years and years and years of training. So um, give me four weeks and I'm, I'm confident that I can get prepared. Yeah. It's like riding a bike, you know, just yeah, exactly. pick it right back up. It's like riding a bike. You never forget, but the first time is not quite so smooth. Yeah. Okay. So there's no uh, being, I mean, you won gold at the last Olympics. There's no like special exemption you you automatically get picked for the team you still have to go back through the all the qualifying stuff right january 1st the year after the olympics it's all wiped off the board and no one cares anymore um i guess i understand it because you wouldn't want someone to win the olympics and then just party for four years and then just be like oh yeah i'm still going regardless mm -hmm. they could get to re-earn your spot in the team but i do feel as if if it came down to two athletes in a sport who were very similar results wise and were on paper comparable, but one guy had the experience of winning a medal and the other guy had never been to the Olympics. They'll always take the guy that's got the medal because, um, 
they've done it. We, I, I took part after Rio in a uh, Team USA psychology study where they studied a bunch of athletes who blew it at the first games that they went to and then did really well at the second games that they went to because they're trying to figure out what or if there's anything that they could do as an Olympic committee to prepare us for the first time that you go. And it's really hard because there's nothing like it, yeah. right? It's, it, I guess it's the same equivalent as like, you know, in baseball, like your very first major league at bat, right? There's nothing you can really do. Like you can do as many minor league bats as you want. You could do as much practice as you want, but it doesn't really compare to that first one. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's like the jump from even our world championships to the Olympics is absolutely insane. Just in the number of people that are in the stands, the, the fact that when you're at the Olympics, you're staying in a village, you're taking a bus with the other competitors to the track. You have to go through security to get to the, get to the starting line. You, you know, all these little things that we have to go through, um, you're in a village with 10,000 athletes, not just at the best Western down the road. Like <laughs> it, it's totally different. There's nothing you can do to compare. Um, if you're a college football fan, here's a trivia question for you. What major conference featured the following? A marching band that played a farmers-only themed halftime show against Iowa? A quarterback who threw for 570 yards and nine touchdowns in a single game and lost? And a team whose coach was assaulted with a kettlebell by Sean P. Diddy Combs? If you guess the Pac-12, then you should be listening to our podcast, 12-Pack Radio, where we cover the Conference of Champions from a gambling perspective with William Hill's Max Meyer, who, by the way, went 60% against the spread this year, an advanced statistics perspective using BetaRank, and we provide weekly coverage of coaching, scheme, odds, and key matchups. Just search 12-Pack Radio, 1-2-P-A-C Radio, wherever you get your podcasts, and join us as we discuss the good and ridiculous things that come out of this fun conference. That's 12-Pack Radio. Subscribe today. So the, the experience is big, but then getting back to your first question, yeah, I had to completely re-earn my spot which I'm fine with. Like, I believe that's how it should. And, and in 2012, my first Olympics that I made, um, the United States had the defending silver and bronze medalist, and neither of them made the team. Wow. Because younger athletes, myself and a couple of other younger riders, were able to push them out. Uh, they were a bit older. We were able to push them out, and they weren't the best guys to make the team, even though four years before they had gotten the silver and the bronze medal. That's crazy. You just, I mean, like you, you said, you want to earn it. You want to have something to work for. Uh, maybe part of your ass off for two years and then, and then get back to work for two. But okay. So let's, let's get away from all what's, what's going on right now. And I want to know what it felt. I want to know the Olympic experience from the time you got there to standing on the podium, getting that gold medal. Like, I mean, being, what were you at the time? 20, 23 in Rio, 23 in Rio. And you, you show up there you you experienced it in the previous London. Olympics. Okay, in London. All right. So you got that first one out of the way. You go into that second one. Um let's let's talk about the first one actually. What was that first feeling like knowing, damn, I'm going to the Olympics and then showing up there and actually realizing like, holy shit, I'm in the Olympics. Yeah, it's crazy, right? It's one of those things where like you you daydream about it all the time. Like you kind of you, you imagine it when you're working out, when you're training, when you're lying in bed and you can't sleep. It's like the thing that you're thinking about all the time. So when it finally happens, it's kind of a surreal feeling. You know, it doesn't really feel real, but then you get to the Olympics 
bikes and you start getting the gear and you, you know, you're, you're walking around the village and, and it becomes real. And then you get to the race and it's just different. Like it looks different visually because like no expense is spared. They decorate it. They got the colors of the theme because every game's got a theme. So they've got the colors and then the stands and you're sitting there getting ready to race. And they, you hear that David Beckham's in the stands and the Prince is watching and you're like, Holy shit, this is real. And you know, everybody you've ever met is texting you saying good luck. And you know, chicks that were blowing you off a few years before, like, what's up? Like, you know, all those, all those types of things are going on. Um, and it's really hard. Like you're encouraged to remember that at the end of the day, it's the same exact thing you've done your whole life. It's eight riders on a track racing. The first guy across the finish line wins. And at its base level, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. But it's everything around it that's really kind of the hard thing to deal with. Um, And in London, uh, I was actually the favorite. um, And I made the final as the number one seed. And I was kind of like pegged to win. And I completely choked. And it's like really hard to be 19, be sitting in the starting line, and be thinking about the fact that this is for an Olympic gold medal. And at this point in time, I had never been, I'd only competed in one world t- championships. I'd only competed in a couple of major world events. Cause I was so young. I just, it all happened so fast. And I didn't know what to do. And then it's all over and you're just kind of sitting there afterwards and you're like, well, now what the heck do I do? Yeah. Right. Cause it's not like you just, Oh, I'll get the next one. And next month, you know, I'll get next year. It's four years. And so that's the hardest thing. And and then fast forwarding to Rio was a completely different experience because I knew what I was getting into. Right. Yeah. And at the Olympics, I I like to explain to people, there's two different types of athletes that go to the Olympics. There's the Olympians that go to get a medal. And then there's the Olympians that just getting there is their goal. Mm -hmm. Right. Because every event has to have 20, 30, 40 competitors in it. You can't just have five guys to go. So there are 20, 30 guys in every event who know they have no chance at a medal. So they're just pumped to be there. They're walking around, taking selfies with athletes, you know, getting all the free shit, eating McDonald's, hanging out. They know they're not meddling, so they don't care. Yeah. And they're having fun. No pressure. That'd be me for sure. I'd be taking advantage of all that stuff. <laughs> but then within every sport, you've got five, six, seven athletes that are like medal or bust. Yeah. And so for, and I considered myself one of those. And for us, it's a completely different thing. Is it, uh, if you don't get a medal, this is what you get. See if you can see that. Dang, a piece of paper. It's a participation certificate. Damn. So when you realize that four years comes down to today and then you get a participation certificate, it kind of sucks. Yep. So going into Rio, I think having that experience obviously helped a lot. I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, and I knew that I was like, I had to, to get top. I wanted to get top three, right? But most of all, I just wanted to leave like proud of my efforts because I choked in, in London. I didn't feel like I did my best. Mm-hmm. So I was realistic in that like, if I did my best and I got sixth place, I'd be bummed for sure. But look myself in the mirror and be like, like, yeah, I did my best. Like, what else can you do? Yeah. I just got beat by people who were better than me. But if I worked as hard as I could, I prepared as hard as I could, and I did my best to execute on that day, what more could you ask for? See, that's perfect. I think that's something that, I mean, a lot of people miss is just the fact that, I mean, losing is fine if you put 
every ounce of effort you have into it, you prepare, you know that you are ready, and you just got beat by people that were better. A lot of people will leave any event, a sporting event, whatever it is, and if they lose, super down on themselves without being able to have that perspective of like, oh shit, like I lost, I just got beat by people that were better. I prepared as best as I could. Um, I was mentally there and I just got beat. And that's something that I think a lot of athletes miss. And I mean, it's it's tough. It's something we talk, I like to talk about sports psychology, performance psychology, just because I think it's something that gets ignored in, in all sports. But Let's let's keep talking about failure. Let's go back to London. You you said a couple times you choked. So you you're 19 years old. You're in a gold medal race. What was going through your head to cause you to not perform at your best? The mistake that I made was I was too focused on the outcome and not focused enough on that process. Right. So in our races, they're 35 to 40 seconds. You cannot make a mistake. You have to be perfect. Um, and the the, the hardest thing to, to get right when you're under pressure is the start. That's the most difficult part of our race is most things that can go wrong. And it's also where um, you have to be perfect to get your nose out in front of the other competitors. And the last thing I said to my coach before I raced that race was, I'm going to fucking win. Right. Which right there tells you I'm thinking about the finish line before yeah. I even get on the starting gate to do the lap. So that was the, the mistake that I made. Is I got way too ahead of myself. You know, I guess in baseball, the equivalent would be, you know, you're up five runs in the fifth and you're thinking, fuck yeah, we've already won this. You know what I mean? Like you got to actually, just because I'm in the final, just because I'm the number one seed, just because I'm in the pole position, that doesn't mean that I'm going to win. Yep. You still got to go and do the job. Yep. Um, you don't have so to compare be, everything to baseball if you don't want to. It's not, <laughs> uh, well, you play baseball. So I, I know I, I like to try to yeah, yeah. make you, make you, because my sport, I am, my sport's this tiny little sport. It's it's a random one. A lot of people don't know a lot about it. So yeah. I guess I'm in the habit of trying to like make people understand it from their perspective. Yeah, yeah I got. Is there like BMX? Do you guys ride the motorbikes? And it's like, yeah, yeah yes, yes, we do. <laughs> do you do backflips? Well, not on purpose. Only if I did something very wrong. Yeah, but. Um, so yeah, that was the thing I did wrong, and I just was my start was average it wasn't awful like i didn't completely freeze but it's like in the olympic final you got to be pretty perfect and i just didn't have a good start and i dropped back and that was kind of it yeah so i mean once you uh what they call getting the whole shot is that is that the right term? whole shot is when you lead after the first turn see i know i got my shit yeah. uh, so arguably like i mean obviously you said 35 to 40 seconds you need to be perfect throughout that but getting that lead at the beginning I mean, I'm sure you're used to getting leads like right off the gate. From what I've just from knowing you, you're one of the fastest guys in the world. You have the freaking gold medal for crying out loud. But getting out to that. Yeah, and you you can lose from second or third, but you're not going to go from sixth or seventh and blow by seven dudes. And not at the Olympic level when it's the seven best dudes in the world. Maybe if you're racing a smaller event and it's not the highest quality of competition, you can blow a start and come back and pass everybody because you're just that much better. But when, when you're talking the Olympics, you're talking, you know, tiny differences between the top guys at the end of the day, at the Olympic level, a lot of it just comes down to mentals because the top eight guys in the world physically are so equal. Yep. So you're not going to come from behind from a sixth place start, you know, if you're in second or third, maybe, but not from a sixth place start. So where did you finish in London? Seventh. Seventh. All right. So let's fast forward to Rio. What did you tell yourself before that medal race? 
I, the difference, the biggest difference is I didn't tell myself anything before the medal race in, um, in Rio. I was just kind of just present and just focused on the moment. And I just was more worried about just doing my best and finishing with my head held high, no matter what position that was in. But that was a really like a strange feeling because that was the day that I thought about every day for four years. And that was the race and the moment kind of that you thought about every day for four years. Um, so when it actually was there, it was like, is this real or is this, you know, is this just me thinking about it again? But I was so prepared because I had done nothing but try to get ready for that moment and just focus on the execution, the one step at a time, making the right decisions on the track, taking the right lines, doing all the right, right steps. And to be honest, going into Rio, I would have been stoked on any color medal because it was like, you're not going home with a damn participation certificate. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let alone a gold. I also raced it with a broken wrist. I broke my wrist four months before the Olympics. Oh, wow. I had a major surgery. I had five screws put in my wrist. Um, and it was still technically broken. The doctor couldn't legally clear me before. He just said, this is up to you if you want to do this. Yeah, you're not missing and, that. <laughs> yeah, no. So I, I went for it. But um, yeah, it was a totally crazy race. And it was... It was all a bit of a blur, but I just remember being very calm and just kind of focused. Okay, so you you said something absolutely beautiful, and it's and it's a message that um, going back to baseball, we tried to get hitters and pitchers to understand being present. So I've asked the question to uh, Dr. Roddy McGee, and I talked about it a lot. Taylor Cole with the Angels, we talked about being present, and I asked each of them what their description or how to describe what being present means. So to you, what do you think it is? It means you're not thinking about anything that's happened before this. And it means you're not thinking about anything that's going to happen after this. It's being completely focused on what you're doing right now. So for me, that meant that I was lining up in my gate and making sure I'm, str I'm straight and I like my positioning. Setting my pedals to my starting height that I want to set them at. Taking my deep breaths, going through my routine, standing up, leaning back, timing the starting gate, nailing the first pedal, nailing the second pedal, nailing the third, just being present with what I'm doing at each individual moment, you know, so all the way to where like when, you know, it, just like, I, I'm sure there's an equivalent in baseball, but there was a moment when I realized, holy shit, I'm winning the Olympics, right? I, I, I realized this is happening. But I'm not done with the race yet. I have to stay focused on what I'm doing, hit each jump, go through each turn, do everything that I have to do to get to the finish line. Mm -hmm. So just having that ability to kind of bring everything back and um, stay focused on the present. Okay, so if you would have had that thought in London, like say you got the whole shot, say you're in first place, and 20 seconds into the lap, you're like, oh, shit, I'm going to win the Olympics. Pretty good chance you would have fallen back. Somebody would have made a mood move because you got distracted. I mean, who knows if that would have happened, but I didn't really know how to do that at that point in time. I was young, right? Like yeah. I remember being young. I used to say, this is so embarrassing even say this out loud, but when I was young, I used to say experience is what older athletes say to make them feel better about being old. <laughs> but then you get older and you realize how valuable experience is. And yep. um, in London, I had no experience, so I didn't know what to do. I was just riding on pure talent and hype. Mm -hmm. um, who knows? Like, I, I, I firmly believe if you put my head that I have now on me in London, I wasn't getting touched because yeah. physically I was more ahead of 
my competitors in London than I was in Rio. But mentally, I didn't know what to do with what I could produce physically. Yep, that makes sense. So that was the disconnect, and the head had to catch up to the body. And I think that's something that gets talked about in all sports is like putting a mature head or an old head in a, on a young athlete's body. And when you can get the athletes who can do that, that's when you get the all-time greats that can sustain success for years and years and years. Absolutely. So we'll, from the end of London, when that race ends, to you going to Rio, what did you do to mature to be mentally a better athlete what steps did you take well i work with a sports psychologist um and i love the term sports psychologist because i feel like athletes have to put the word sports first because they can't just say that they need a psychologist (laughs) (laughs) um but i did that and obviously they had some good advice and things um but for me the biggest thing that i realized is the only way to get better at those moments is to put yourself in those moments because you can't practice it anywhere else. So every chance that I got, whether it be a world championships, a national championships, a world cup, whatever it was, I was like, I need to put myself back in that position to practice being in that position when there's a championship on the line. Mm-hmm. And there's only four or five times a year, you know, world championship, world cup, national championship, Pan American championship, that's about it that we have for those major, major opportunities. And I just said, I need to, between now and Rio, I need to be in every one that I can mm-hmm. and in that position. And I, I kept fucking them up. I want a few in there too, but I made, I made mistakes as well. But I got to the point where I figured out what I was doing wrong in the times I was doing it wrong, what I was doing well in the times I was doing it well. And I'm not a hundred percent strike right now, but since about 2016, 2015, I'm like, I would say I'm like in the 80s, 90 percentile of when I'm in that position, I don't mess up. Yeah, you're but kind, it you're kind of been untouchable. It kind of, I, I, I don't always get to that position, right? There's days where I'm not the best guy and I can't be in the pole position and I can't be in that position to, to, to control my destiny and go win the race. But put me in that position now and I know what to do with it. Whereas I didn't know what to do with it before. Um, so just forcing myself to go into those uncomfortable moments where there's pressure. And it's really easy to be in a final. There's eight guys in a final. It's super easy to be the five seed because you just go. Yeah. You're like, whatever, I'm in the middle of the starting grid, I'll just go. But when you're in lane number one, when you're the number one seed, you're the pole position, you're on the inside, which means all you have to do is be even with everybody and you hold the inside that's and you're also expected to win because you've been the fastest all day to get into that position that's the hard thing so i just kept forcing myself to get back into that position and figure out what to do with it perfect so having being uh an olympic athlete after uh london did you have access to the the olympic sports psychologist or was that something that you you went to went off on your own and found one no, so I'm considered like a I forget the term for it, but they've got like levels of athletes um, within the Olympic Committee, and because I've been top five, top ten in my sport world ranking for a long period of time, I'm on like the highest level of support that you can get from the Olympic Committee because I'm a metal. I think what I think the term is metal capable. It's like metal capable, metal potential, metal hopeful, or like there's like different. Yeah, that levels. makes sense. But, I'm the highest level because I, I've proven that I could get a medal. So that means I have access to the nutritionist, the sports psychologist, to their, their S&C if I want it, 
um, kind of all, all the things that they offer, I have access to. So I've worked with the sports psychologist, um, through them for a number of years. And I think it's good because the basics of sports psychology across all sports, I would say are 75, 80% the same. Yeah. Right? Agreed. It's not going to change that much. I'm sure there's a bit difference when it comes to team dynamic stuff versus individual sports. But at the end of the day, you know, um, personal, like being at your best is, is pretty consistent. But I do think that it, it's good that I have someone who understands the Olympic stuff specifically because it's very, very hard to explain to somebody. Imagine getting a chance every four years that really matters and everything in between doesn't even come close. Yeah. I, I guess it matters. World championships are cool, like all these trophies and everything. Like that's how I put a roof over my head and it means something to me. But I would trade everything I've ever done for one gold medal yeah. without a doubt. Where? Like that's, huh? Sorry, go ahead. I was just, that's the scale of it all. It's like you would, like, if I asked you, would you win every race for four years, but not get a medal, or lose every race for four years and get a medal, you would take the medal. Oh, you'd be crazy not to take the medal. So that's where, like, from a psychology standpoint, not everyone gets that and understands, like, just how heavy that is. Mm -hmm. Where are you going to ask me where my medal was? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's right there. I was hoping you'd be wearing it around your neck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Okay, so um I mean I lo I love that this conversation went went on uh performance psychology. That's uh, it's one of my favorite topics just because it's I in junior college our coach it was literally just drilled. It was like, "Hey, you're going to need this. Like if you want to be an elite athlete, you want to get to the top, you're going to need this. And even if you want to be remotely successful, you're going to need this." But I want to get Let's switch gears here. Uh, a lot of people, I mean, almost everybody criticizes the Olympics because of not paying the athletes. Uh, what, I mean, obviously you got sponsorships out of being a gold medalist, but what do you get out of being an Olympic athlete besides the notoriety, the name recognition? So every country is different and the way that every country works is different. So the Olympics is a platform. The International Olympic Committee does not give athletes any money. They do not subsidize us. They don't do anything at all for the athletes. Um, we get no prize money. We get no show up money. Nothing like that. We don't. We have a lot of rules and regulations of what we can and can't advertise. Like there's sizings of how big the logos can be on the bike or on my helmet or whatever. I can't wear my monster helmet there. Um, so in one on one hand, they do block a lot of our potential earnings because we can't do anything when we have the most eyeballs on us. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if they just gave us a six by six, you know, square that we could place logos, it would increase. I think of the value of Usain Bolt could put something right there. Oh like gosh, think about how much yeah. money you could sell that for. Yep. Or even myself, right? Like that's going to be the biggest opportunity that I have in terms of eyeballs mm -hmm. to where it's like in my monster energy, which is my, my biggest sponsor's monster energy drink. In my contract, the bonus for winning Olympic gold medal is smaller than winning other other events because they get nothing out of it. Because yeah. when I'm on the podium, I can't do this with the monster can. Yeah. Right? Um, but with all of that said, the Olympics is a platform, and it's up to us to figure out how we can use it to um, earn income. So you have to be a little bit of an entrepreneur um, 
to leverage what we've done, you know, I've, I've done, I've started getting into public speaking. Um, I think that if you were to apply for a job and you were to list on your resume that you were an Olympic athlete, that, that, and that you can sell that that shows how hard of a worker you are, organizational skills, um, the ability to work with others, you know, all, there's a lot of skills and things that you have from doing that. So you just have to leverage it. But with that said, and this is all public knowledge. You can go on Google and find this. Mm-hmm. Every medal from Team USA gets paid from the United States Olympic Committee. Um, up until Rio, it was twenty-five grand for a gold, fifteen for silver, ten for bronze. Uh, and then, actually, Bernie Sanders uh, sponsored a bill in two thousand sixteen. And two thousand sixteen was the first year that we didn't pay taxes on that. So if you got a medal in 2012, you got 25 grand and then you got a 1099 and had to send eight grand back or whatever. Um, And then you also got taxed for the value of gold, silver, or bronze on your medal. So like I think the gold medal has like 1400 bucks or something worth of gold. So you would also get taxed on the value of the gold, but that doesn't happen anymore, which is nice. Um, Bernie. Yeah, those uh, those numbers bumped up starting with the 2018 Olympics. I think it's like 37.5 now, um, and then I think it's like 22 and 15 or something for yeah. gold silver bronze. So there's, but a, on top there's of that, a little financial motivation. And then on top of that, every what they call NGB, which is National Governing Body, so that's USA Cycling for me, that's um, USA Gymnastics for gymnastics, you know, USA Baseball for baseball. Um, every NGB can offer their own incentive. So wrestling is the biggest that I've seen. They're 250 grand for a gold medal. Holy shit. Yeah. So you win a gold medal for USA wrestling. You get 250 from wrestling. You get 25 from, um, uh, from the Olympic committee. So it's 275 right there. One hit for wrestling. Um, USA cycling is 15, 10, five. Um, go on usacycling.org. You can see all that information. It's all on there. Um, I think swimming is like 60, 40, 20 or something like that. And track and field is something similar. Yeah. So when you're talking to guys who win multiple medals, like you're starting to, it stacks up pretty quickly. That's good. That's cool. Uh, I didn't know that. But every sport's different. So, you know, I have no idea what some of the more obscure sports like USA badminton, you might win a medal and get 30 bucks. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It just depends on what you do and, and, and how they want to incentivize you. Um, but we definitely, 99% of Olympic athletes don't do this to get rich. Like you yeah. do it because you want to be the best in the world, but there's a lot of opportunity that comes with it. I got college scholarships from the U S Olympic committee. So, you know, I've got half of my school paid for through them. You know, there's, there's a lot that you can do with it. Um, if you are willing to be smart and use all the resources that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I have two more questions before I let you go. Monster energy is your number one sponsor, right? Uh, yeah, they're my biggest one. How many cases of Monster do you have in your garage? Just a few. I don't know. I, I used to have a bunch. Um, when I first signed with them, I was just pumping through those. I've drinking so much of that stuff. And, um, I toned it down to like one a day ish. <laughs> there you go. So I, do you I, just uh, hit them up and say, Hey man, I'm running low. Can you sit, send me out a couple of cases? Yeah, that's what I do. Nice. What's your favorite flavor? Cause I used to crush, uh, the imports in junior college. Oh yeah. Oh, they were so good. But now it's like you got I gotta go with the the white and the purple, the sugar free ones. The white ones good. My dad likes the white ones. I, I always hook them up with those. Um 
I like the rehabs. Have you had the rehabs? Oh yeah. 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 They're not carbonated. So if you want to have a little caffeine before a workout or whatever, but you don't want to be burping when you're, when you're working out, I like those. ones. Yeah. Those are good. Uh, those were the hangover go-tos in college. Go get, the, oh, yeah. go get the rehabs. Uh, okay. So last question. Um, you said actually the first time that we met was at the creatives and I walked in right when you were do when you were up there speaking and then we sat down, we didn't, we barely talked. We just kind of introduced each other, but, uh, public speaking is something that, I mean, just, just listening to you, you were, you were locked in, you're incredibly passionate about it. Is that something that when your career ends, you plan on just, just rolling with that and continuing to do that? Absolutely. Um, I have no idea what I want to be when I grow up, but that's, that's something that I could do whether it's full time or on the side forever. Um, I think it's hard a lot of times for athletes that are in high level sport, whatever sport it is to realize that the things that we do, the things that we learn, the things that we go through aren't normal. And a lot of people would love to hear the stories and love to hear what we've learned and what we've gone through. And, you know, the, the, the different techniques we use to manage different situations. And, um, it's something that I've, I've, I've enjoyed doing because as an individual sport, I never get that, that feeling of celebrating with a team. Mm -hmm. I never get that feeling of sacrificing for others, right? Everything's me, 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 and everything's, you know, around what I need to do. But when I do a speaking engagement and someone tells me that, Hey, I really learned this or, Hey, you really inspired me or, that's a really cool feeling can you say that again because you kind of cut out right can you say that again you cut out right when you were about to say say that which bit the last bit yep just that last like 10 seconds yeah but when you get that experience and someone comes up to you and tells you those different things and it's really it's a special feeling it's really cool and something that i enjoy um it's also not as dangerous as racing 35 miles an hour on BMX bikes with other riders and running the risk of crashing. Yeah. So I, uh, I enjoy that part of it too, but I just did a, an engagement in Dallas two weeks ago. Um, and I had another one that was kind of mapped out for, for May, but with all this coronavirus stuff, I think that's out, but yeah, definitely interested in getting more into it and, um, seeing where it could take me. I mean, it just, just in this 45 minute conversation, it's clear that, I mean, you, you're an Olympic gold medalist, you know what you're doing, you're, you're an elite athlete, and you, and you need that sports psychology. But just the being able to stand there and listen to you that night, it was a, it's a different perspective. I've always been, it's the team psychology. Obviously, you have you have to be selfish in a sense to, to get yourself prepared. But the big picture is the team to hear it from the perspective of someone who it's really all about you, even if even if you do win, and you're celebrating with the other athletes on Team USA, you don't necessarily know those people. It's really not that like special because you don't have that personal connection. Well, I would say that my team, my team is like my coach, my psychologist, yep. my mechanic, you know, like my sponsors, like that's my team. But it's not like, you know, I, I love watching sports and I love watching the championship game of every sport because I, even if I don't like the sport, care about the team, when there's a winner and those players all rush in and they start like, that is such a special moment, but that's something that I'll never get to experience. But I also never have to experience that game where you had four hits, three RBIs and a home run, and you were the only player who did anything. So you should be happy, but your team is 
losing, so you're bummed. Yeah. With me, it's very black and white. I did good, you know, good job, pat in the back. I did bad. That was my fault. And it, there's there's plus and minuses of everything. Yeah, that's true. All right, man. This was awesome. I mean, I'm going to list go back and listen to it again, and, and I'm going to try and get it out as soon as possible. But I uh, really appreciate you doing this. Be safe. Stay in that home. Keep those garage workouts rolling. And, and hopefully in a couple months, we can uh, do one of these from the uh, opening ceremonies. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully man, hopefully we can do it either next couple months or in a year and a couple months. Whenever. We'll make it happen. I'll make some calls. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Cool. Well, thanks, man. Thank you.